the old generation is dead and the time has come. Israel prepares to take the land long ago promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. On The Bible Brief. We're making Bible learning content like this so that you can learn the Bible in a new way. Have you considered donating to the Bible Literacy Foundation? Check out the link in the show notes. Joshua surveyed the horizon as he looked across the Jordan River into the promised land. Moses was dead, and the leadership of the nation was now on his shoulders. He'd been Moses' assistant for all those years in the wilderness, and he knew the difficulties that Moses had leading this stiff-necked people. He'd experienced those difficulties himself, difficulties that especially began after that initial mission of his into Canaan. He knew that he would never forget his first foray into the land, that spy mission that he'd been on as a representative of his tribe of Ephraim. He had been one of 12 spies who'd gone into Canaan to see the land and report back to Moses and the people nearly 40 years ago. And he remembered his excitement at the goodness of the land as he approached the camp with his report. He remembered that big cluster of grapes that they'd brought back from the valley in Canaan, just showing the amazing fruitfulness of the land. But he also remembered the reaction of the people to the report of the 12 spies. The fear in their eyes when 10 of the other spies claimed that giants walked in the land and that the land devoured its inhabitants. He remembered nearly being stoned to death along with Moses, Aaron, and Caleb. Most of all, he remembered being stuck in the wilderness for 40 long years as that older generation died for rebelling against God's command to go into But as Moses died up on the mountain overlooking Canaan, that last generation had finally passed away. Forty years since the great exodus of Egypt. And now it was time to enter the land of Canaan. That land promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob over 400 years earlier. In Joshua's day, Israel had the opportunity to see this great promise fulfilled. They would be the generation to finally live in Canaan but it wouldn't be easy. They would have to fight. Joshua himself had heard the voice of God, and that voice would echo in his thoughts. God had said, Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Israel would have to fight, but God would be with them. And with God, victory would not just be possible, it would be inevitable. Joshua might be the human leader of the nation, but God would be the power of the nation. Now Moses, through God's leadership, had led the people to this spot just off of the eastern edge of Canaan. In this eastern entrance location informed the war strategy for the nation about to enter the land, because strategy they would need to ensure their victories weren't short-lived. They would enter Canaan from the east between two distinct people groups between the Amorites in the southern portion of the land of Canaan and the Canaanites who were in the northern portion of the land. The goal would be to effectively divide and conquer. First, they would enter Canaan and establish a home base, which would require quick and decisive victories in the first cities encountered across the Jordan River. After the defeat of these initial cities, the army would start a campaign to the south to defeat the Amorites, 
before swinging north to defeat the Canaanites. In this way, they could largely control the land of Canaan by defeating its major powers and capturing its major cities. It would be an impossible task if God weren't among them empowering the army of Israel. But outside of the geographic strategy, there was also a spiritual strategy, a strategy that's perhaps difficult to digest for us as Bible readers. The spiritual strategy was one of population devastation, where all the people in the cities defeated were to be killed, with not one remaining. This was the command of God from Deuteronomy chapter 7. He said, When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it, and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons. For they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you, and he would destroy you quickly. But thus you shall deal with them. You shall break down their altars, and dash in pieces their pillars, and chop down their asherim, and burn their carved images with fire. This command that God gave the nation is a somber one, but it's a command that has an expressed reason. God doesn't leave it a mystery why he has told Israel to totally decimate the cities that they defeat in Canaan. He says that if they don't do that, and they don't follow his other commands on how to conduct the conquest, that Israel will turn away from Yahweh to follow the gods of the Canaanites. Then God's anger would be kindled against Israel. Said another way, God has set apart this nation for blessing in the land of Canaan. But deviating from these commands to decimate the population of the resistant cities will only result in cursing. Cursing because the Israelites will turn away from Yahweh and follow other gods. The people had opportunity to enjoy blessing in the land, following God's commands and His laws. But if they rebelled, they would be cursed and cast out. God will only have His people worship Him, the one true living God. Worship of any other will only bring death and destruction. Now, if you notice in the command that we reviewed, God said to Israel that you shall break down their altars, dash in pieces their pillars, chop down their asherim, and burn their carved images with fire. This command already begins to mention some of the items of false worship that the people will encounter in Canaan. The altars, pillars, asherim poles, and carved images were used by the Canaanites to worship their pantheon of gods. So just briefly, we're going to learn some of the names of these Canaanite gods that we should get used to hearing as we continue to navigate the Bible story. Because sadly, these names pop up over and over again. Now parents, you may want to screen this part before listening with your kids. The Canaanite Pantheon The Canaanites had many gods. But through their pantheon mythology, one god eventually achieved supremacy over the others. And this god's name was Baal, or Baal. Baal was the god of rain and storms, who was also the god of all fertility. Effectively over time, he became the god of the seasons and over nature in general. According to their mythology, Baal had three wives, Ashtaroth, 
Asherah, and Anath. And these three goddesses were largely associated with sex and war. Baal's relations with these goddesses would make the land fertile, and the Canaanites would simulate these sexual acts to worship these gods. Eventually, they had temples spread across the land in which they had male and female cult prostitutes for this orgiastic worship of their gods. They created material idols of their gods with overly exaggerated sexual qualities, and commonly in Canaan, one would find high places set up with Asherah poles to specifically worship one of Baal's wives. The depravity and falsity of these gods, Baal and his wives, was only exceeded by the depravity and falsity of the sexualized worship. And not only that, but Canaanite religion involved human sacrifice of adults and children, bodily mutilation, sorcery, and divination. This syncretistic religion was a gross display of baser human impulses, human sacrifice, and superstition that was anything but the worship of one true holy, righteous God. This religion was a rejection of Yahweh. It begins to be easier to understand some of the language then that pops up in the Bible, because sometimes the Bible talks of the people of Israel whoring after other gods. We saw this for the first time in the plains of Moab, when the men of Israel were seduced by those Midianite women and worshipped the Baal of Peor. Sexual cavorting with the Midianites caused them to abandon Yahweh. There's a sense in which this whoring of the people of Israel is figurative because the people were unfaithful to worship of Yahweh alone. But as you can guess, there was often a literal element to this whoring through the sexualized worship of this false god, Baal. God would have none of this from his people, and he knew that unfaithfulness to him would begin by allowing the people of these rebellious cities to remain alive in the land. He would have his people decimate the inhabitants of Canaan so that singular worship of Yahweh would be the result of the conquest. Through his commands, God was showing the path toward obedience and blessing in the land. That obedience would mean rooting out the evil pagan worship to be replaced by the worship of Yahweh alone. No quarter, no mercy, and no covenants should be made with the Canaanites. Their temples, their Asherah poles, and all their idols were to be destroyed the land would be cleansed before it would be made holy in worship of Yahweh. This was the strategy that Joshua had before him, a strategy to enter, divide, conquer, and destroy the inhabitants. After establishing a base in Canaan, they would first go south to defeat the Amorites, then north to defeat the Canaanites. And in all this, they were to utterly defeat and destroy the populations and false worship in their way. Joshua had been commissioned by God for this war. He'd been told by God himself to be strong and courageous. God had said that he will be with Israel and with Joshua as they enter Canaan. And after 40 long years, it was time. Time to finally enter the land promised to Abraham long ago. Time to cross the Jordan River they'd been staring at for weeks. Canaan is the prize. Blessing is the goal. And war is the tool. The time has come. Join us next time as we see an echo of the crossing of the Red Sea, as Israel crosses the Jordan River, not on boats, but on dry ground.
The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2023.